This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Because of the program's theme and controversial subject matter, parental discretion should be exercised. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared it subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. You are a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army. Correct. Now, and how does the Army feel about you being head of the Temple of Set? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such an imperial motive for putting a position on me. We'll never let the truth back and I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. And uh, who was the grotto leader? Uh, I don't remember his name. You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? Are they speaking in very high position, Jack? Yes. Let me see if I can find... This was reported on in the news, and it, uh, as we've alluded to before, it, it, it was part of the milieu of the entire satanic panic phenomenon that sort of started in the early 80s with uh, this book, Michelle Remembers, yeah. where uh, a psychiatrist uh, you know, recovered uh, repressed yes. memories through hypnosis of a girl who claimed to have been satanically sexually abused, uh, part of a cult that her parents were in in the 1950s. By the way, we'll throw this in now um, as a kind of content warning. Uh, it's about to get very dark and twisted. So if uh, we'll, we'll try not to be too gross and explicit about it, but this is going to get into the abuse of small children in very uh, sick and depraved and twisted ways. So if, if that uh, is something that you would rather not listen to, uh, feel free to skip ahead a little bit. Yeah. But but anyways, um, uh, let's maybe let's start. I'll read an AP article, nice and clean down the middle, right from August tenth, nineteen eighty seven, which does not notably mention Michael Aquino, though he was one of the two, one of the three people, along with his wife and a man named Gary Hambright, who were implicated in this abuse case by uh, children. Um, so here we are. This is the Associated Press. FBI investigates Presidio child molest case by Kathleen McClay, August 10, 1987. A group of parents contends as many as 37 children may have been sexually abused at an Army daycare center, and officials say at least two children have been infected with a sexually transmitted disease. Presidio spokesman Bob Mahoney said, said Monday that more than 60 children have been seen at the Army's Letterman Hospital in recent months after their parents reported they have been the victim. They they may have been victims of sexual abuse at the center, which cares for 250 children daily. There are a number of cases where child abuse has been identified, he said, adding that the boys and girls have been undergoing counseling as a result. Two couples helping to spearhead a drive for a complete investigation of the center are proceeding despite fears that they, like some parents in the McMartin's preschool case in Manhattan Beach, will be accused of encouraging children to fabricate stories of molestation. We don't want to tie the prosecutor's hands and jeopardize 
the investigation, said Dennis Runyon, an army dentist who said his two daughters were abused at the center. At the same time, we hope to get all the victims identified, and we don't feel that's been done yet, said Mike Tobin, an army engineer who said his son was raped at the center. We want the children to get to therapists to seek help so that this doesn't just ricochet around in their heads and snowball. We think there are a lot of children involved. The FBI is investigating alleged molestation at the sprawling Presidio Child Development Center for civilian and military personnel at the post at the south end of the Golden Gate Bridge, but would not say when the investigation is expected to conclude. It is an extensive investigation. The agents are still conducting interviews and are still collecting evidence, FBI spokesman John Holford said on Monday. He declined to comment on the number of suspected victims or the number of children and adults interviewed. Specifically, because of the long period of time in which this case concerns itself, we simply don't know how many children are involved, said Colonel Joseph Rafferty, commander of the Presidio. We are very confident that the FBI is conducting a very thorough investigation and that when they do go to trial, they will have a very firm case, said Mahoney. The Child Care Center is a safe place to be, and there have been no new reported cases since the November incident. Uh, and for the background, the investigation began last November in 86, after the three-year-old son of Mike and Joyce Tobin came home from the center and allegedly complained, quote, Mr. Gary had hurt him sexually. The Tobins said a doctor's examination showed the boy had been raped. Gary Hambright, 33, who had worked at the preschool for 18 months, was charged with sodomy, oral copulation, and lewd and lascivious, lascivious conduct. However, the charges were dropped when a federal judge ruled in March that the child was too young to competently testify and that the boy's remarks to his mother, nurse, doctor, and brother about his alleged abuse were hearsay. Jesus Christ, by the way. Sorry. Um, in April, five couples signed a letter sent to 300 families whose children had been cared for by Hambright. It is said the authorities had identified 37 children as possible victims of sexual advances. The Tobins have been joined in their fight for a full inquiry by Dennis and Gretchen Runyon, who say their children were also molested. In addition, another group of parents who used the daycare center last week circulated a petition at the Presidio calling for a town hall meeting to discuss the situation. Parents have contended that four children have contracted the sexually transmitted disease chlamydia. According to Bahoney, army officials put the number at two, possibly three. One would be pretty disturbing, he said. So, um, I think it's very weird that the army uh, said that there were two, possibly three cases of chlamydia. Well, yeah, I guess that it can be hard sometimes to determine. Like, I remember that there was, like, a false AIDS positive on one kid in the Presidio mm -hmm. situation. So, yeah, like, I think that, especially if we're trying to downplay it, uh, you know, it might be kind of, there's, uh... There definitely have been false positives in this type of thing, so uh, maybe that's what they're kind of getting at. Yeah, and uh, and and this also wasn't the only case of uh, alleged child abuse at an army daycare center in the 1980s. Uh, according to May Brussel, there were 30 ongoing cases as of 1987, and there were about 300 army daycare centers worldwide, which would make... Uh, on which would basically mean that 10% of army daycare centers were facing accusations that the abuse was going on there, which is like a, a pretty high number. I, I would say, um, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and some of these cases were, uh, some of these cases were proven. Obviously none of the cases 
you know, prove that there was a uh, military or satanic cult or whatever. But some of these cases did, um, like I'm seeing on this other article from the San Jose Mercury News, which does go into Aquino, that at a daycare center run by the Navy in Philadelphia, a civilian was sentenced to three years in prison for sexually abusing children. So th- there was a there somewhere in there. Um, I, and I think that uh, also unlike the McMartin case, which got so much attention and then eventually was kind of like the albatross that was hung around the neck of all of these abuse allegations and kind of when that case collapsed sort of discredited the entire phenomenon. Um, this case did not get, even though Michael Aquino went on Geraldo and Oprah to, to defend himself against allegations of uh, sexual abuse, I believe Geraldo questioned him about it. Um, I don't, I've never been able to find the full episode of him on Oprah, except for the, the, the part that we use in our intro where he asks the man who the grotto leader was. Yeah, um, that's the <laughs> um, point is that, yeah, uh, no one, like, there's no names. So, you know. Uh, uh, why don't you pressing. name them and expose yeah, name, them? Name them and arrest them and get them, them off the streets. <laughs> he's yeah. such a piece of shit. Like, he knows, um, he, he knows he's full of shit. Um, but, yeah, you can see him sweating a little bit, especially in the Geraldo one. Because Geraldo he puts it to is. him. Yeah, and I really, like, it's, like, it is genuinely hard to say like yeah like everything about this guy's like career indicates he's a very like sus person like an imperialist like a nazi lover like but the evidence like you know it's it is circumstantial so it's hard to like really pin him down but i mean if you that's the thing like if you look at this dude like especially if you watch him in his television appearances he's literally dressed up like you know of he like he looks like dracula like uh he looks like a a pedo dracula basically like (laughs) he he does he does Um, it's safe to say so it's not he kind of leaned into it in some respects yeah which is interesting because like that really uh it really you know reinforces it gets you to kind of say like you know to jump to to conclusions you know uh i think that as soon as the stuff came up around presidio any connection that he had with it i mean i think he says in the documentary you know oh i was stationed here but just by virtue of the fact that like at the time you know i was stationed in dc or whatever but just like like you know any as soon as you start looking into it at all like if you find this guy you're like oh well he must be involved especially in the climate of the satanic panic you know and i think that a lot of that kind of did happen there's some circumstantial stuff you know the identification of him as uh, Mikey by that one girl and his wife. You yeah, know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that now from... Uh, I'm going to read a little bit from this uh, much more to-the-point article uh, from the San Jose Mercury News from July 24th, 1988, uh, uh, entitled uh, Child Abuse at the Presidio by Linda Goldston. And that's going to go uh, basically over a little bit of how how Michael Aquino got roped into this case, or, you know, identified in this case. Um, because for at first, there were allegations of abuse, and Gary Hambright, who's the civilian who worked there, was the first person to be indicted and seen. But then... It, it And he was actually an ordained Southern Baptist minister, by the way, which is kind of interesting. The Department of Defense decided in April 1987 to form special strike teams to investigate sex, case, sex abuse cases in the military. The goal of the teams is to not let things get any worse, um, says Bob Stein, director of the Family Military Resource Center at the DOD. 
Um, we need to be better prepared to deal with the magnitude of the problem. I don't think anybody was prepared at the Presidio or West Point. Uh, West Point was another place where they had a big child abuse scandal, I think, in 1986. Um, and let's see, although the allegations of ritual abuse made by children at West Point and the Presidio were similar, quote, we may never totally resolve whether there's any kind of external organization of abusers or if it's just a single pedophile or, or if just a single pedophile was involved in these cases, said uh, Colonel Jim Schley. Deputy Director of the MFRC, but some of the allegations made by children at the Presidio that they were taken to houses on and off post by men and women led to investigation of the possibility that there was an external organization in San Francisco. Inside a concrete bunker behind the military intelligence building at the Presidio, I believe that's where Michael Aquino worked, the words Prince of Darkness are painted boldly in red on one, on one wall. Used decades ago to house artillery guns, the reinforced concrete batteries appear to have been converted to something like ritual chambers. Emblazoned next to the Prince of Darkness is the word die and what looks like a list of names painted in red that have been crossed out with heavy black paint. One wall is covered with the numeral 666, a sign of the devil, and occult drawings. A clearing in the center of the concrete floor, where the ground is exposed, is filled with refuse and partly burned logs. On the front wall beneath the window that faces the military intelligence building is a huge pentagram inside a circle. In the rear, where sunlight gives way to darkness, white and black candle drippings sit atop a dome-shaped recession in the wall, apparently a crude altar. Incense sticks lie half-burned to the side. At another battery farther up Lincoln Boulevard, a large drawing of Satan with red eyes and horns appears on an outside concrete wall. Doors of the battery are secured shut. There are no windows to climb through. No entry is possible here. It would be easy to dismiss the satanic graffiti as the pranks of adolescents, taking advantage of the isolated bunkers to play new versions of Dungeons and Dragons. But events in the Presidio case suggested something more sinister could have been involved. Satanic goings-on are not new to the Presidio. In the early 1980s, when he was an MP at the Presidio, Albanoski, I think it was a detective, uh, recalls, we got a call from the Portola MacArthur housing area. One person reported a man dressed in black holding a little girl's hand running toward the park. Another call came in saying they heard screams near the creek. The search led to a gardener's shack at Julius Kahn Park, a strip of city-owned playground adjacent to the Presidio behind the housing area. We heard noises coming from inside, Albanoski recalls. We kicked the door open and there's his nice little bedroom. In the corner was a mannequin with a gun aimed at door. On the left side, there was a bunk against the wall. There was a pentagram on the floor, a huge one. There were dolls' heads all over the ceiling, just off-the-wall stuff. Music was blaring from a radio. Albanoski and another MP were given approval to set up surveillance of the shack. After a while, the investigation was called off. We were sitting there thinking we got a cult on the Presidio of San Francisco. Nobody cares about it, Albanoski says. We were told by the provost marshal to just forget about it. Though Albanoski's investigation went nowhere, the child abuse cases would raise the specter of Satanism again. And here's where Mikey comes in. Larry and Michelle Adams Thompson had noticed changes in their daughter's behavior after placing her in Gary Hambright's class four or five times in September and October of 1986. The girl who turned three in October had begun having nightmares and would wet herself when frightened. Her parents believed it was just a bad stage she was going through until they heard about the Tobin boy in January. The girl was taken to a therapist at Letterman Army Medical Center in February. In therapy, the girl talked about being sexually abused by Hambright and by a man named Mikey and a woman named Shamby, whose identities were unknown. On August 12, 1987, the Adams Thompsons were shopping at the PX at the Presidio. Suddenly, the girl ran to Larry Adams Thompson and clutched his leg. He looked up and saw a man whom he knew as Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino. 
Yes, that's Mikey, the three-year-old told Adam Thompson. After being taken outside, the girl added, He's a bad man, and I'm afraid. As they were leaving the parking lot, the Adams Thompson saw Aquino's wife, Lilith. Larry asked the child if she knew the woman. Yes, that's Shamby, the girl said. The family went home and called the FBI. When interviewed by authorities the next day, the girl identified Gary Hambright from a photo lineup and said she had been driven to Mikey and Shamby's home by Hambright. That's the Russian hill house where Aquino's grandfather slit his own throat. There, she said... She was abused by Hambright, Mikey, and Shamby in a room with black walls. She said she had been photographed. She said Hambright and Mikey were dressed in women's clothes and Shamby was dressed in men's clothes. Uh, The investigators drove her to Leavenworth Street in San Francisco. The girl was asked to identify any of the houses she had been to before. While walking past 2430 Leavenworth, the girl identified the house as the one where she met Mikey and Shamby. It was the Aquino's house. A search warrant was served in the Aquino home on August 14th. In attendance were agents from the FBI and the SFPD. Because the abuse allegedly occurred on city property, it was to be a city case. Among the items seized were videotapes, cassette takes, notebooks with names and addresses, two photo albums, one paper plate, and two plastic gloves uh, from the kitchen garbage, four plastic cases of negatives, and 29 photos of costumes and masks. With his widow's peak and arching eyebrows, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino looks more like a pudgy Dracula than a high-ranking army officer with top security clearance. He's the founder and high priest of a satanic church, the Temple of Set. His wife, Lilith, a gaunt woman with long, dark hair, is a priestess in the temple's order of the vampire, with a Y. The couple refer to the search as a raid and have branded the investigation a witch hunt. The army has known about my religion for the last 18 years and has no problem, Aquino told me in a telephone interview late last year. Not one single person in the U.S. Army, with the exception of the chaplain, would have the remotest notion that I would be involved in anything like this. Uh, Indeed, army spokesmen at the Pentagon label his military career as, quote, extraordinary and say he is entitled to his religious beliefs. As for his top security clearance, they say his openness about being a Satanist makes him much less of a security risk than a homosexual or someone with drug or money problems would be. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and, you know, not to laugh at, like, the things that, you know, were said. Uh, These are horrible allegations, and... um, and, uh, you know, I mean, she was able to, uh, let's see, did I mention yet that she was basic? yeah, she was able to identify his house and identify, uh, the, the, you know, the appearance of rooms in the interior of the house. Uh, and they didn't even take her to the, I mean, they took her to Leavenworth street and said, point out a house you've been to before. And yeah. she pointed out, so, you know, you could that's, take the, f- uh, what do you think? That's definitely the most damning thing. It is hard to say, like, you know, what exactly happened. And, like, during the Satanic Panic, like, for sure, I do think that there were, like, things where children were kind of led to say certain things or to to go off. And it is, like, so curious that uh, it is, like, an interesting fact not to, you know, uh, say that he did, he wasn't involved. But just to point out the interesting fact that if Aquino didn't look like, you know, Dracula, like if he didn't look like that, then it would be so much more damning. Like if she identified this, like you know, if she saw this guy and was like, he's a bad man, like he's scary. Like if it was just like some, like you know, other dude, like you know, for Epstein or something. That's a really then, good point, you know, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like you know, it kind of like makes you think about how 
uh, you know, this, like, the, how this, this whole thing is, is helpful in a way, or like, you know, that it's a good, yeah, it, it's, screen, it's productive you know, like, for him to yeah. walk. I mean, people, it's interesting because people always kind of assume the, like kind of the flip side of that, which is that it's such a bad thing for him to run around dressed up like, you know, pudgy Dracula, because then people are going to finger him in ways and, and, you know, blame him for all kinds of horrible things. And, and, uh, and basically, uh, you know, law, like he's much more apt to become a victim of a witch hunt. So it's like stupid. But this is not necessarily like a stupid person, you know. And this is also a person who had basically, whether tacit or not, the blessing of the military, the U.S. military, who had enough trust in him to give him a, a top secret clearance and let him keep it even after uh, these allegations started to come out. So clear, and it was, you know, invited to work on very top secret assignments and projects and things like that. So in a way, it, it kind of makes more sense if you think about it as kind of leaning, like a, kind of a, a smokescreen or a sort of preemptive, you know, if anybody ever accuses him of doing anything criminally satanic, he can always go back to like, well, you're just a, you're just biased, you're just bigoted. Yeah. Clearly, this is because of my ridiculous appearance that I choose to dress up in. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, you know, uh, it's it's yes. really clever actually if if you yeah. think about it that way. It is. Uh, I mean, but it, like you know, it is obscure, but yeah, it's very like there are aspects of it you know are very damning, and it's always it's very hard to deal with these type of things we're doing with testimony of you know really young children and there are aspects where you know if someone is uh a satanist you know they're kind of like the uh, suspect number one when it comes to these things and his beliefs as repugnant as they are are like a different order in terms of like legality than uh this type of thing so yeah it's it's peculiar it's one wonders like you know what is it's harder to match this up with his sort of public person like what was the object of this stuff you know was this a sexual thing for him was it a ritualistic thing like what would the idea have been um you know uh I'm personally and it's very difficult to tell and if you try to kind of figure out what was the point of this uh, abuse um, you quickly get into like very wild and murky conspiracy uh, kind of waters that are uh, there's a lot of speculation and it's like past a certain point it's all a black box and you can't really know for sure I mean I think um, I know in John DeCamp, who was kind of the was a Nebraska state senator who was heavily involved in sort of exposing the Franklin scandal, the Larry King ring in Omaha, Nebraska, or at, at this almost exact same time, um, and who was strangely a also an army person who worked on the Phoenix program and was Bill Colby's aide in Vietnam, and presumably maybe like worked with Michael Aquino, though I don't think he ever claimed to have done that. Um, he mentions in his book, The Franklin Cover-Up, um, that, uh, I mean, I guess you would have to call this a little bit of 
you know, speculation because he doesn't back it up with any hard evidence, but that the so-called monarch program, which we've heard so much about, I think we've mentioned it before, you know, websites like Vigilant Citizen and that think that, you know, Lady Gaga and Beyonce and like every, you know, Ariana Grande and all these people are like monarch slaves that have been subjected to trauma-based mind control and are total basically you know kind of mind-controlled slave puppets of the music industry and the music corporations and who are probably controlled by freemasons or the illuminati and that's why they put you know one eye symbolism and checkerboard floors and all kinds of weird yeah butterflies which are meant to symbolize electroshock therapy or something um and and you know to be to be fair we'll we'll talk about that another time but like there is a lot of it's a, it is a weird matrix of memes that pop up in pop videos like particularly from the 2000s to today um but but the actual evidence unlike MK Ultra which is deeply not only did the original documents come out in the 70s but a lot of reporters have been able to do a lot of substantiation of the different subprojects and stuff um over the years like Monarch has always been this this kind of big question mark. Um, I think John DeCamp talked to Bill Colby before he mysteriously drowned in the Chesapeake Bay in the mid-90s and asked him about Monarch, and Bill Colby gave some kind of vague answer of like, oh, yes, Monarch. Well, I don't know. I think it was discontinued. I don't know anything about that. Or something like So he kind of acknowledged that like he it was a thing that he was talking about, but kind of deflected and didn't want to say anything about it. And uh, John DeCamp says in his book that Michael Aquino was sort of one of the heads of the Monarch Project, and that's why he was involved with abu- ritually abusing children. It wasn't simply because he's a pedo or even because he's a Satanist, but it was part of some ultra top secret, uh, ex- you know, successor project to MK Ultra that perhaps was trying to train children to become lifelong intelligence assets, you know, and, and maybe induce dissociative identity disorder through ritualized abuse and then create a sort of matrix of you know, trigger phrases or symbols and things like that by which you could control people. And I think there might be something to it from, like, a developmental psychology angle. As wild as that is, at least it's a narrative that, like, makes sense, you know? Like, uh... Yeah. In... Yeah, in terms of just, like, uh... Like, because I feel like a top-secret project involving this stuff, that'd be something that, like, yeah, he would get excited about and go for, you know? Uh, It... Yeah, I don't know. It's... It's definitely interesting to uh, to consider, or or, or perhaps you know it was more a, of an experimental thing where they didn't know how to do this yet, but they were seeing if you know because uh, I think it's that the often quoted guide. Uh, well, I think that the guy who literally wrote the book on this, who's a very shady character named Fritz Springmeier, I think you you would recognize that name. Um, I think he wrote like the Illuminati handbook about how to create a mind controlled sex slave or something <laughs> was the name of his book in the late nineties. And he claimed to, I don't know where he got this information, but he claimed to, you know, have studied all these different things. He claimed to have it all figured out. And, Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of specifics in that book that, you know, I I think are somewhat questionable. But his general theory was kind of, it sounded at least loosely based in developmental psychology that 
if you want to create a sort of mind-controlled assassin or uh, intelligence asset or something like that, um, and you want to do that through a kind of a ritualistic program or systematized programming, you're you're best off getting them like when they're very young, like probably less than six years old, because they're still very unformed, and that way you can sort of embed things deeply into their subconscious and uh, things that they might not that might be so shocking to them that they literally just dissociate from it, and then create alternate personalities, which then you can like activate later on in their life, um, and again. I don't know if that is like medically true at all, but uh, I have done some reading up on dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder. And it is a real phenomenon, and it is almost always triggered by extreme abuse. of people yeah. in small in, in their early childhood and I mean, basically it's a means of coping and dissociating so as not to like have a total psychic breakdown um, to sort of yeah. create a different identity that's like not being abused and then you can like switch over to it and you know it's a real it's in the DSM it's a real thing and I don't think it's uh, totally out of the question that the US military and the CIA and their kind of legacy of MK Ultra would settle on that and be like huh interesting like I wonder if we could weaponize this and then the only way to, to test it is to do some really horrible experiments on children basically um and then maybe the satanic part i've always thought about this uh, as if uh, for all of these 80s kind of cases uh, maybe to some extent the actual ritual part of it well it might have been done by people who genuinely believe themselves to be satanists or setians or things like that was really more of like an absurd smokescreen to cover the very real, deeply unethical sort of medical research, that psychological research that they were doing, uh, testing on humans. And so if you dress people up, especially um, also, you know, like going to McMartin and how some of the, the details reported by children, you know, that was like uh, Chuck Norris molested us. Uh, we saw people levitate and fly yeah, and things like right. that. Well. What I think about it, like a lot of people look at that and say, okay, obviously bullshit. These kids, you know, are they don't even know what reality is. They're making up fairy tales. They've been influenced by scary movies or whatever. But what I think is, uh, like, what some of the Presidio children said is that they were injected with something before they were taken to Aquino's house. So, you know, we know they have an extensive history of dosing people with psychedelics. So, like, what would happen if you gave a three year old LSD? Well, and then you dressed up in scary robes and monster outfits and did even just kind of basic stage magic to them. I mean, think about yeah. that, right? Like, you could, yeah. like, pe- magicians on stage can fake levitate and all that. You give a kid LSD and you scare the living hell out of them, and then you do something like that, and then they're probably going to report that as, like, when you ask them what happened, they're just probably going to tell you matter of factly what they experienced. Now, it doesn't mean, you know what I mean? So I think there's, like, yeah. there's a lot of nuance in here that's a little bit. Uh... It's very, very spooky to contemplate, but it does have a certain. It's definitely conceivable. It's definitely conceivable, uh, which is very chilling. Uh, uh-huh. But it yeah. is, it yeah. is like within the realm of imagination. <laughs> um, you could, like, like you said, yeah, you could, you could see the U.S. government doing this. It is mm-hmm. thinkable, like that. You know, could would it be successful? Like, you know, uh, to make like a uh, to, but certainly as an experiment, you know, it would. Uh, in terms of the house, it actually reminds me of something I dug up 
like uh, while we were talking about uh, Vevelsberg, uh, and he said that uh, you know it was only partly the memory of the castle itself and partly its location in terms of ley lines, energetic oh, power yeah. lines that cover the world according to the view of geomancy and other geophysical influences. Essentially, yeah. it was the castle itself and its Valhalla that created the working. I merely perceived and responded to it. Um, so it's like, yeah, that's another thing that's kind of suspicious about it is like, why go to his own house? You know, why this military, like what significance this military base? You mentioned before we started recording that it was almost at one point made, like declared the capital, like the honorary capital of the world or something, you know, by the, like for the, for UN purposes or something. It's interesting to think about that. In, yeah. In the yeah. It, of, it, yeah. It basically said, because I believe the UN was, um, yeah, the UN was, was founded in San Francisco after World War II. And I believe that they, they considered building the UN headquarters on the Presidio Army base, but then they decided to build it in Manhattan instead. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and of course, just so we mentioned... Another that it, ley line it's, convergence. Uh, well, yeah, and, and I mean, the amount of people going from the Spanish who established a, a colonial mission there, which is why it is called El Presidio um, originally, and then going to the U.S. Army and then being like where Michael Aquino and one of the Army PSYOP groups is stationed, and then being closed down in the 90s after the Cold War and uh, was actually bought by George Lucas and Lucasfilm, eh. um, I think maybe in the 2000s. And then guess who, guess who owns it today? When a certain company bought out George Lucas in, I think, 2013, that's right. Now it's owned by Disney. Mm. Uh, it's a small world after all, isn't it? Yes, it really... Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oof. Um, so, yeah. so I, I mean, as far as this case goes, um, you know, Aquino... Got off eventually. Uh, the charges. He was never actually. I don't. Uh, he. I don't think he was ever formally indicted for these crimes. Um, the army began to investigate him, and um, they eventually dropped the charges. And then, at 4:45 a.m. on September 22nd, 1987. Um, a building in the Presidio complex uh, that houses uh, or a complex of structures that house the daycare center caught on fire. Um, and by the time parents started dropping their children off at 7 a.m., the $500,000 blaze had been extinguished. Um, and uh, the Army Community Services building adjacent to the daycare center, which housed some of the center's records, had been demolished. Perhaps only coincidentally, the fire occurred on the autumnal equinox, a major event on the satanic calendar. An investigation of the fire by the Army blamed the blaze on a faulty wire outlet. Uh, and, oh, wait. Three, three weeks later, fire struck again, this time at the daycare center itself. The fire was reported at 4.30 a.m. It caused $50,000 of damage to a daycare center building that housed four classrooms, including Hambright's. 
So uh, now faced with two fires, the army called in the Bureau of uh, called in ATF for help. Uh, the investigators found that both fires, contrary to the army's finding, had been arson. They also found cinders under a building, evidence of a third attempted but unsuccessful fire at the center. The army later offered a five thousand dollar reward for information on the fires, and there have been no takers. Um, uh, so, yeah, so somebody committed arson and burned down the entire daycare center uh, after Aquino was implicated. And then the charges were eventually dropped. Um, Gary Hambright was uh, he had he had his original charges of molestation were dropped, but then he was reindicted. And September 87, on new molestation charges involving 10 children, charged with 10 counts of lewd and lascivious conduct on a child and two counts of oral copulation. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the and then I guess, you know, long story short, um, Gary Hambright, uh, well, yeah, Judge Schwartzer, um, dismissed all but one of the remaining counts because the charges were too vague. Um, and uh, let's say, duh, duh. and so basically Gary Hambright's case like collapsed again because the judge just threw it out. And then ultimately Gary Hambright would die of AIDS in, I believe, 1989 or in the very early 90s. And he was out of the picture at that point. And eventually the army concluded its investigation and concluded that Aquino was innocent, but also kind of uh, basically kind of it seems to have ended his career at lieutenant colonel. And he basically ended up retiring from the army in 1992 uh, as a lieutenant colonel. And um, <clears throat> and I just wanted to bring up really quickly, like in the 90s, Aquino became a very litigious individual, sort of like the way Scientology is, and ended up filing a number of lawsuits to clear his name. Um, and he filed a lawsuit against the Secretary of the Army in 1992 because there was a an Army report of the criminal investigation they did about him. And basically he wanted to purge that report of his name and the name of his wife and basically, like, strike it completely from the record and erase it. And the Army basically said... Uh, yeah, the, the, the Aquinos in 1990 requested that uh, – this is an official court document um, – requested that the CID remove their names from the title block of the report. While the CID deleted Mrs. Aquino's name entirely on the ground, the identifications of her by the children interviewed were inadequate. It did not delete Lieutenant Colonel Aquino's name. The CID also removed from the report changes arising out of – out of allegations that Aquino made against Captain Adams Thompson, all the child abuse charges remained because, quote, the evidence of alibi offered by LTC Aquino was not persuasive. <laughs> so, okay, not to belabor that too much, but the U.S. Army itself basically said, like, your alibi was not persuasive to us. Which yeah. was, I think, and I think his alibi was something like, I was uh, out of the country, yeah, or I was in St. Louis at he the was time. in D.C., yeah. Yeah, as if, as if he couldn't ever fly back to San Francisco. So if they didn't find it persuasive, you know, he yes. was basically invoking them as his excuse. So if they, didn't, they themselves didn't well, find it persuasive, that indicates that they were privy to, you know, his ability to move around or that he, it wasn't true. 
Something like that. Yeah, because I think that was his... And also, like, as if... I don't know. Could a three-year-old tell you exactly what day they were taken to a house and drugged and abused? You know what I mean? So, like, I mean, I'm sure they could say, like, okay, this happened in the last, you know, six months or the last year. But to say, like, oh, well, I was out of the country. Like, clearly there's something there that the CID investigators saw that, you know, just didn't exonerate him. Did the authorities at the Presidio know that a satanic organization was active on their base during the time that you were a member? They were very much aware of it, yes. The present base commander, Colonel Rafferty, says that today at least... I know of no satanic activities whatsoever in this area. Satanism may be a constitutionally protected religion, but similar to another recent case at the United States Military Academy at West Point, here, charges surface connecting ritual child abuse at the Presidio Daycare Center to the devil cult. It was here, parents and others allege, that as many as 60 young children were ritualistically abused by soldiers of Satan. Colonel Aquino, we note, sir, for the record, that you were originally implicated in the dreadful charges of child abuse. We note also that no charges were ever brought against you and presumably you have been cleared. Would you like to comment on why those charges were brought against you? Well, the entire time that uh, the so-called child molestation scandal was occurring at the Presidio, the time period when um, uh, these terrible events were supposedly taking place, I was assigned to the National Defense University in Washington, D.C., and my wife was out there living with me. But is it not a fact that a three-and-a-half-year-old girl identified you as the alleged perpetrator of molestation? No, as uh, a matter of fact, it is not the case. An accusation was made by her stepfather, who was an Army chaplain, speaking on behalf of this child. In her original interview with the FBI, she denied ever being molested. Well, I've seen the... I, I, you are innocent until proven guilty you were never charged in this case i don't want to belabor the point i have seen however the affidavits for the search warrant of your home and they indicate the child is speaking to the authorities not her father this was after she had been subjected to uh, therapy let's say you are innocent of that you are no longer at the presidio you are now in st louis but you are still a serving officer or colonel in the united states army do you feel it is inconsistent with a high-ranking officer pledged sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States that you are also a practicing Satanist? Not in the least. The Army has known of my religion for the last 20 years. There has never been a problem with it. To rewind a little back to 1988, so very famously, we've referenced it, he goes on two very big uh, daytime talk shows to basically defend Satanism and himself about uh, broad allegations around the country that there are satanic cults uh, influencing young people to murder and abusing children in daycare centers. So he goes on Geraldo Rivera in a televised special which is on YouTube uh, called Exposing Satan's Underground which we uh, use some clips from uh, in our opening intro and he made an appearance on Oprah as well uh, where 
again in our opening intro, you'll hear him uh, ask who the grotto leader is to a uh, to a very terrified like former church of satan member who claimed to have witnessed a human sacrifice and you can kind of get a sense if you ever want to get like a real sense of aquino in like the peak of his powers uh or in a really hot high pressure situation he you really get a sense of kind of his his mental agility and ability to psyop out people um even when, yeah. you know, he's he surrounded by kind of a hostile it. crowd. He did not. I think that he really thought that he, yeah, he was going to, like, debate his way out of this. And it did not pan out maybe the way that he hoped. I don't know. I guess he really thought that he might, like, win them over or something. I I don't know what his calculus was. But he, yeah, he did not. Or, or for that matter, that while there was a... Good. Yeah, while there was an ongoing army investigation into whether or not he was abusing children, that he decides to go on national television and in his black outfit and his widow's peak and his satanic emblem and, you know, give a very authentically Aquino kind of defense of, like, intellectual Satanism. Yes. And, you know, absolutely, uh, no, or like, we do not engage in any illegal activities, uh, you know, and, and kind of... Just really, uh, uh, kind I of. I think the yeah the the distillment I feel like of his defense is uh, or the sublimation of his defense is when he said something that I feel like we talked about a little bit uh, on other episodes of the podcast of the preceding two. He said something like, you know, this is is part of the problem. You know, uh, we what we Satanists think of Satan as being is not what you know Christians or pe- members of conventional religions think of Satan as being. So, mm-hmm. uh, to us, Satan is good, and to you, like, Satan is bad, so that's why we have the problem. Like, when people do the, commit these satanic crimes or whatever, or, like, you know, kill in the name of Satan, uh, they are actually acting on Christian beliefs and not on, uh, satanic beliefs, because in Satanism, Satan is good. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of, like, it's really, yeah... You can see the the game that he's kind of playing there uh, and the kind of trick that he's doing. And it it is, like we've mentioned a bunch of times, like the sort of no true Satanist uh, trope that they kind of trot out of like no true Satanist would, you know, sacrifice a human, do harm to another human being. But yet that seems like what the entire ideology is all about is about like self-worship and power and like death to the weak. So why wouldn't you? Yeah. It, it, it's very contradictory. He really um, got caught on that program also when they started reading quotes from the Satanic Bible and he had to be like, that's not to be taken literally. Or, you know, saying like death to the like Death, death to, the, to week. the week. Yeah. I'll, you, know, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll put in um, a little bit of Geraldo reading it right now so people can get a little taste and Aquino's response to it. But let me read from the Satanic Bible. Quote, one of, this is the, the number one, uh, uh, I guess, uh, commandment. Death to the weakling... Wealth to the strong. How can you believe this and still uphold the Constitution of the United States? Death to the weakling? Well, for one thing, what you're looking at there is a highly polemical book that was never meant to be taken literally in all of its commandments. Yes, and I'm aware of that, and I'm also saying that members of the Church of Satan understood that much of this book was in the form of a polemic. It was a statement uh, that was dramatically made, but was not intended to be taken literally in all its respects. So we should not take this book literally. Correct. But I have to say, like, I kind of, as bad as this is, I, I did empathize with him a little bit because of the, 
like format of the documentary it's kind of like it's interesting actually it's an interesting sort of historical piece because it really like all this energy that was directed at satanists uh at the time like became redirected at muslims like this was like this could have been like about like the jihad threat like in 2002 or something you know like uh Mm -hmm. and you know, it's, yeah, interesting, like, you know, there's so many things that, like, recur, like, that's not to be taken literally, or whatever, you know, like, uh, things that you might, we might have to say about this, even things about, like, the, like, uh, sexualization of children that, like, you know, we've been accused of, um, and, yeah, so, I, it's a double-edged sword, because on one hand, like, yeah, like, these people, like, are complicit in a lot of, like, uh, awful things, like, uh, and they're, like, likely to be complicit in more awful things than we even like know about or their beliefs are oftentimes like, extremely repugnant but um on the other hand it's interesting like how this whole thing was staged like as yeah. i'm watching the Harald documentary it's just so strange to see like it, it to sort of try to contemplate the convergence of the goals because in a way it almost seems like this like psyop master is walking into this giant psyop trap where he, you know, was made to look completely evil, and he seems to be there to actually defend himself, but then, but why, you know, is he just really a fool? Did he miscalculate? Like, uh, I don't, I instinctively do not think that he sort of dumbly walked into a trap, because, uh, I don't know, like, you're right, there's something so sensationalized and kind of exploitative about the way that the satanic public, the the satanic panic was kind of, you know, um, was sort of packaged and sold to the public in this, like, incredibly, like, a a really scary way. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think one thing that was interesting about the Satanic Panic, and I think the reason to this day that many kind of liberal-minded people won't, uh, they completely discount any of the 80s stories, is because it was set up in a kind of, like, artificial dialectic. Like, I think I mentioned on the very first episode how on the one hand you have all these you know, evangelicals that are fighting for God and they're fighting the devil's influence. And then on the other side, you have these like edgelord Satanists that are like, kill everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like one thing that I think in addition in a whole swirl of kind of the, the social changes that have been brought about by the sixties and then the, the rise in popularity of like even political evangelical Christianity and like televangelists and the Reagan revolution and the moral majority. This was all like chum for Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell and all these people to, to fill their pews with. Right. I mean, what other, it's almost like what other conclusion could you come to if you're in like mainland America and you, you turn on your TV and there's like satanic teenagers who like are listening to Iron Maiden and then they like murder their best friend in a satanic ritual so they can get 10,000 souls in hell. Um, <laughs> like what other choice do you have but to like re-embrace the church? And of course it's kind of like it's the getting them coming and going kind of thing of like then you have all these very psyopy almost in their own way, kind of satanic televangelist preachers like Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell and uh, and uh, Jimmy Swagger and, and all these people, and Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. And they're there pushing a completely kind of almost like Christo-fascist right-wing agenda 
that, uh, you know, is like viciously anti-communist and just kind of anti like liberal in general and very supportive of the most the the kind of some of the most right wing trends in America. And, you know, so in a way, like it was Michael Aquino kind of playing his part in yeah, part of something exactly, much more much vaster yeah i'm inclined to think like that's as i'm watching it, i'm like okay well this is all like set you know the, the sides that appear here as we talked about in the first episode you know the sides that appear to exist here like it's all pre-calculated it's not what it seems where like geraldo and these evangelicals like bravely confronting michael aquino and it was all just it's so like you know uh go shall they have like a catholic priest you know to do the sort of and it's like a halloween special like all this stuff yeah. it's just all very you know it's and it the mention good. of like the cattle mutilations and that type of thing like it's a very interesting historical piece because i think that when you look at it like in its context you know it really is a, a time warp and you can see like the way that things were laid out and you have a new sense of clarity uh with the hindsight and the way that this was sort of framed um because i feel like we've had the backlash of the satanic panic where it's like okay well none of that had any legitimacy like that was all like a witch hunt or something and then we had like sort of people being like wait a minute like let's re-examine this and i think it's very interesting to look back at that uh the way it's sort of presented uh Mm -hmm. because yeah you're quite white there's like you know there's a heavy like evangelical influence you know there's like the main opponents that are presented to uh aquino are these sort of evangelicals he's defined sort of oppositely to them you know it's Mm -hmm. uh yeah, it's uh, and, very... And, and what better way to kind of, like, suck young people into kind of thinking that he's actually cool? You know, it's like you're either going to believe the, the fake psyopy evangelical people uh, or you're going to believe the fake psyopy army officer who's, like, a radical Satanist. And either way you go, you're going to be supporting kind of, like, the same U.S. dark empire uh, and... That's pretty much so, you know, and, and on, on top of that, like it, the actual stories that they bring up and the, the people they interview from death row. So just by watching this special and as sensationalistic as it MK'd. is, that guy on death row seemed MK as hell to me. Well, that's what I've got into Satanism for. Why? Why? Because it possessed power. Where were you going to get this power? Where were you going to use this power? In hell. In hell. You're going to kill a person on earth to get the power of 10,000 souls in hell? Are you sick? No. Why aren't you condemned to die? Why aren't I? Yeah. Did you use Satanism as a defense? Yes. Uh, oh, my God. The, the Did you kill people? Like, did, did you kill people to get 10,000 souls in hell? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, that was a Charles Gervais, um, yeah. and and you know what these people I I looked it up and I looked up some of these cases of everybody that popped up and like these are real cases that actually happened they got convicted they in almost every case were not overturned and the most you could say is that oh well maybe the satanic aspect was kind of played up but actually the what it says elsewhere in the documentary and and May Russell also said this multiple times like. 
there was actually a real reluctance among local police and prosecutors to, uh, for a variety of reasons, to ascribe satanic motivations to murder cases like this. Because for one, it sounds outlandish, and a jury is you're less likely to get a conviction if you if you focus on uh, oh they were like you know doing rituals and they wanted to win Satan's power. Um, and two, like a lot, especially in more rural communities, nobody wants to be known is the county that has like a satanic cult running around killing people in it yeah you know like you would just rather kind of bit so they usually would make it sound more like a drug related homicide or just you know random kind of killing or something but if you look it up like like i'm looking at los angeles times 1988 satanist teen uses scout knife interesting to kill mother and self Uh, this is in jefferson township new jersey this was covered in the geraldo special a 14 year old boy scout Interesting. Fascinated with Satan, had been considering suicide before a dispute in which he stabbed his mother to death, torched his parents' house, and then killed himself by slitting his throat. Also interesting, Dr. Campbell Ford. Um, Thomas Sullivan Jr. and his mother, Betty Ann, were arguing about his recent obsession with satanic rituals and folklore when he suddenly flew into a rage. The prosecutor said the teen attacked his mother during the Saturday night dispute, stabbing her repeatedly with his Boy Scout knife. Um, After killing his mother, the teen went in the living room and placed several books on the occult in a ring on the floor he piled newspapers in the center and then set the papers on fire um and then you know killed himself and um and i mean they yeah so like that's one right there you can't really say he wasn't influenced by satanism yeah what aquina will say is like well he's unofficially affiliated with the church of satan or the temple of set they have no official is he a card carrying member Yeah, exactly. Yeah, who was the grotto leader? Uh, You know, he didn't have a grotto leader, but yeah, obviously you can't say he wasn't influenced. And the whole idea of doing rituals so that Satan will win seems kind of directed towards these type of things happening. I don't know, like that, uh, yeah, that's the kind of activity people associate with Satan, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and there's, like, more and more and more kind of, uh... That's what Satan stands for, <laughs> like, you know, that horrible type of act, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, it, like, it, it makes perfect sense, so you're, like, really twisting yourself around in knots by trying to say that, like, this has nothing to do with it, and, like, I could, I found, like, just by typing in, like, satanic murder conviction into Google, it's interesting, like, if you type that in, like, 75% of the results are from one single case in, like, 2017 in Kentucky, where two guys' murder conviction was overturned, because, like, they were falsely accused of being satanic, but then, like, in between that, it's, like, a million cases from the 80s where some teenager like murdered their best friend because they were like obsessed with satanism yeah (laughs) so it's like they're trying to kind of bury it and make it seem like it was all bullshit but um you know maybe we'll circle back on that on a future episode and talk about the witch hunt narrative by rossi chait who's a brown professor and he uh uh, he wrote a book a few years ago that basically uh, takes another look at like the whole phenomenon of satanic panic, and I think his ultimate takeaway is like, yes, there definitely were cases in which, like, kind of hysteria took over, or people were framed, or a lot of this, you know, supposition about Satanism kind of, you know, infected the judicial process. But he can cite almost like a hundred times more cases where. 
there were people that were doing weird black ritual magic that ended up murdering people or abusing children in like ritualized settings and it was much more real like the the panic about it wasn't entirely unfounded now i think it was manipulated once it got onto primetime tv um, but that's not the same to say that it, it absolutely didn't exist. And I think we see in a doctrinal sense that it's quite consistent with, um, as our, our good friend Nicholas Schreck, who is uh, just going on all the, all the podcasts these days. I keep seeing him pop up, and nobody ever asks us about how much of a psychotic fucking Nazi he is. Uh, in the Geraldo special where he believes that, what did he say, like he wants an apocalyptic war that will wipe out the majority. I'll play his clip right now. I'll insert it in. And you can judge for yourself if this guy is like super cool and uh, should be trusted. We would like to see most of the human race killed off because it is unworthy. It is unworthy of the gift of life. Nicholas Schreck visited Charlie at San Quentin, keeps a picture of his hero on his apartment wall, and displays a lock of Manson's hair as if it were a sacred relic. A bloodbath would be a cleansing and a purification of a planet that has been dirtied and degraded for too long. Um, but yeah, he wants to eradicate most of the human race and thinks that most people are unworthy of life. Uh, he's buddies with Boyd Rice, who's another person that I see leftists standing all the time, listening to Death in June or whatever the fuck, and um, and is like doing a Nazi satanic concert ritual. This has historically been a sacred day, a day of purification, a day of hell and fury. We mourn not its victims, we honor its victors. In closing, I would remind those here that murder is the predator's prerogative, and there is no murder without blood. They all seemed very obsessed with a nuclear apocalypse in the 80s, which is fascinating because I wondered if Aquino to what extent he was involved in things like the Star Wars project, uh, which, you know, like liberals nowadays say was like kind of, uh, it was like a goofy project that never actually was going to work and Reagan was dumb for wanting to do it, but like Lyndon LaRouche and other people like convinced him that he should have space weapons. But I actually, it, I've also heard it described as like a PSYOP, like a, you're going to, like, freak the Soviets out by saying we're going to have space weapons that can shoot down your rockets. And B, it, like, triggered, it almost, like, provoked them into spending a lot more money on their nuclear program, which put their economy in more dire straits throughout the 80s and exacerbated some of the underlying, you know, uh, uh, weaknesses in their, you know, their whole economy. And then, you know, and never ended up really materializing. But, you know, Aquino was advisor to NATO. He was a space intelligence officer, I think, at some point throughout the 80s. And it seems kind of like a perfect mind war tactic, doesn't it? Yes. And speaking of which, it's interesting to think about how this whole like satanic panic stuff gets sublimated with 9-11 you know i think that aquino yeah. actually uh had some speculations of his own about 9-11 had floated things about the the no planes theory and things like that kind of makes yes. me think of you know the the ultimate in my opinion one of the greatest conspiracy writers uh sk bain uh <laughs> formerly of the weekly standard uh of you know author of the the most dangerous book in the world uh colon 9-11 as mass ritual uh -huh. um yeah it's interesting how all this sort of panic around satanism was sublimated into 
the kind of national uh, uproar uh, and the, the, the fervor in response to, to that, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, has been described by, by some such as S.K. Bain as, as ritualistic. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, he, he claimed that uh, specifically he claimed, first of all, which I thought was interesting, uh, is that the Israeli Mossad was primarily the force behind 9-11 with, I guess, some kind of complicity with elements within the Bush administration. And on top of that, yes, he endorses the no plane theory and says that there were, you know, uh, explosives planted in the World Trade Center you know, prior to, uh, to 9-11 and that I get like, I, I just, I can't with like the hologram plane theory, like show me a a technology that can create a hologram in the sky. Maybe. Did he say holograms or did he just say that there weren't planes? Although I, so I mean, it's absurd either way. I don't like, I just don't even know. I have what? to. I, I would have to go back and listen. I believe that I, I can't say for sure. He might have said that they were, you know, remotely piloted drones that were sort of built to look like jumbo jets. Uh, but yeah, then or the he, he did were say blown up, and everyone was told there were plans, and they played pictures of plans. And then I don't know. I mean, it's all doesn't make any it, sense. Like it doesn't make any sense. Planes. He like, he claims uh, Aquino claims in, in this one interview that the actual planes that were hijacked were flown to a sort of low-key air base in Massachusetts, whereupon commandos or mercenaries or somebody went in and murdered everybody, and then they like scrapped wow. it. And then I think he even said that the planes were like recycled. They were like painted over and recycled into like government usage. That is something. Uh, yeah, yeah, it reminds me of that documentary that used to be on Netflix. They probably took it off now, like, you know, in the post-Trump world where everyone's kind of vigilant, uh, you know, uh, no pun intended about this stuff. Um, but there's that documentary, In Plain Sight, uh, where oh, like yeah. it was just some dude sitting next to a, a monitor, like, explaining to you how there were any planes. And he was like, if people ask me, you know, and he did it like a lot. He was like, oh, well, if, uh, there were no, well, you know, if the planes didn't hit the Twin Towers, where did they go? Well, I don't know where they are. They could be at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, you know, but at least <laughs> at least Aquino has an answer that they went to a base in Massachusetts and everyone was fucking mowed down. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. He, it is interesting. And, and the fact that he sort of, I think, I don't know if he was ever popping off about 9-11 until maybe the last few years of his life. But it's interesting that he fingers the Jews, um, basically, as mainly doing it. And and didn't mention anything about the Saudis, like, being involved whatsoever. Uh, Not to say that the Saudis, like, did it by themselves. I think it was probably, like, an Iran-Contra enterprise sort of safari club joint, perhaps, you know, sections of the CIA and MI6 and Mossad and... Saudi, you know, people like Bandar Bush that were all kind of involved. I think it was a very, like, you know, uh, it, it, it took a village to do 9-11. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I remember uh, him talking around, like, the time when ISIS was really in the news. I remember, I think, I don't know, I think it might have been on Above Top Secret that he posted about this, saying that uh, we should just leave them alone and let them become their own polity, much like Saudi Arabia. You know, it's like, uh, all right. Honestly, like, I, I mean, wouldn't even be surprised. I, I've said this before, but I wouldn't, like, I could not think of a better sort of death squad 
like a fanatical like satanic death cult that more closely approximates what would be like Michael Aquino's dream than Isis. Uh, like yeah. in terms of their like Egyptian their name, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, their Egyptian okay. name, their all black clothing, their psychotic like snuff film videos, and all the psyops, like their their uh, incredibly suspicious uh, facility with social media, and you know uh, being able to kind of operate like intelligence operatives. They and, did. Uh, they did try to genocide the Yazidis, though. So that. That's you know probably. Oh yeah, I mean they they technically did worship. Long-standing, well at least in Church of Satan doctrine, there was a strong association of the Yazidis with Satanism. I mean, yeah, they're often viewed as devil worshippers, but you know I'm sure that was a production of ISIS. That's true. That's true. I mean, I mean, you know, and all the all the confusion that ISIS caused in terms of people's like misunderstanding of Islam and. You know, like, like what? Remember the like the what ISIS really wants article oh my from God, like four yeah, years one ago. Of the worst articles of all time. That yeah. really people believe. That it's like no, no, no. You have to take ISIS seriously. They're just reading the Quran and doing what's yeah. in. Yeah. And they're it's like Islamic, no, they're not. Very Islamic. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, they're quite literally. They're like a hack. Phoenix program, like rebranded to be like Islamo Nazis. Like uh, it, you know what I mean? Like like they're yeah. they're using well, the memes of Islam because that's the region they're operating in. But like. It, it like most of the I mean I think later it came out that like most of the people in ISIS like you know had like never read the Quran or like like there's no kind of religious component to it was pretty much like a mercenary outfit that was yeah. like I would say like small s satanic in terms of well yeah the whole thing of like what ISIS really wants like these are actually very principled and knowledgeable religious scholars I might be doing the Aquino voice but that's supposed to be my Gramwood voice I don't have that many voices that's my generic Atlantic wonk voice but yeah like that is very much like a wandering soul idea like oh the Vietnamese are a very uh you know uh, provincial people who believe in uh spirits and and yeah. such things and we could you know it's the same sort of thing of like I will tell you what's going on in these these religious religious minds you know like it's just yeah uh, yeah so, yeah, yeah. Very much. <clears throat> um Oh, and just to bring it back, the, maybe maybe this will close out kind of the last thing for that we're going to kind of discuss about Aquino. But uh, sitting next to him in the Geraldo special is uh, is Zena Shrek, who uh, is not only the um, uh, the wife of bald headed crypto Nazi fuck Nicholas Shrek, but is also uh, Anton LaVey's daughter obviously, and uh, and eventually joined the Temple of Set after having a falling out with her parents. Uh, what was it, in 1990? Uh, I think that it might have actually been a little bit earlier than that. Uh, let me look on xenashrek.com uh, uh, and see what she uh, said about um, her parents. Uh Yes, Zina, uh, yeah, I think you're right, 1990. Zena uses her first name only for artistic and spiritual pursuits. Her legal name is Zena Shrek. She has not used her birth name, LaVey, since 1990, when she resigned as high priestess of the Church of Satan, renouncing all forms of Satanism and severing ties with the LaVey family. Um, so, yeah, if you try to contact her as Zena LaVey, she won't answer. So I guess she definitely iced out. Uh, her dad and doesn't want anything to do with that uh, anymore. Although she definitely did explore esotericism and black magic subsequently. She was in the, the Temple of Set, 
Uh, then she got disillusioned with that because she saw Aquino as being just a LeVay fanboy who didn't actually know anything about Egyptology or set, which is true. That uh, definitely she's correct in, in that, that his understanding of set is not consistent with what, like, you know, Egyptologists think or, or uh, you know, what the ancient Egyptians uh, believed about set. Uh, for the most part, obviously, it's a, like, very long-standing culture. But anyway, neither here nor there. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, so after that, she... Uh, you know, went into sort of, I think she founded something called the, the Sethian Liberation Movement that was kind of like a cult rehabilitation type project, but it seems like she abandoned that now and is mostly focused on sort of tantric, weird uh, Buddhist, like, esotericism and her radio werewolf type stuff that she does with, uh, you know, uh, Max Shrek, who was, who was mentioned, or... Or uh, Nicholas, Nicholas, Nicholas Shrek, Shrek, right? Yeah, Max yeah. Shrek was the uh, guy who played Nosferatu, but... Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and he's the one on the Geraldo special that want that that advocated the uh, the the mass slaughter of the majority yes. of the human race, uh, and yeah. also became friends with Charles Manson in prison, and that's. I think that's why he gets invited on so many podcasts to come and pontificate about uh, a, a Charles Manson. And I think that's very fascinating because, uh, you know, if uh, we'll do an episode later on um, Tom O'Neill's book, Chaos, about how Charles Manson was pretty likely, um, as one law professor put it, an MK Ultra experiment gone right. And uh, and actually had a kind of overlap between the Church of Satan and the Manson family during the Summer of Love uh, in 1967 and 68 in San Francisco. And so Nicholas Shrek became like his little fanboy who would write to him and visit him in jail and uh, was pretty, you know, ideologically simpatico with him. Um, and uh, and then so he ended up marrying Anton LaVey's daughter. And then both of them, I believe, right, joined the Temple of Set in 1990 and then, I guess, left in 2002. Yeah, um, and, and But it's had, interesting. Yeah. She, she doesn't talk so much about, like, specifically what happened, except that uh, Michael Aquino had a deficient and not very sophisticated you know, uh, sort of theological background. The way that she described it was that she had a religious experience with Set in Vienna. She was at some museum and she went toward a Setian altar and she experienced like some sort of revelation from Set and she erroneously assumed that the same thing had happened to Aquino, but then, uh, incidentally, you know, uh, I assume there might be some connection. The year that she resigned was the same year that she became a high priestess in the Temple of Set. So I think what she indicates was that she thought, you know, Aquino's maybe being coy and that eventually she was going to reveal these higher secrets he had access to, but then maybe once she cha attained that degree of initiation, she was like, oh, wait, there's nothing to this really nothing here for me um yeah so that's and maybe why yeah, she, that, she came to associate that with a sort of abusive or corruptive type of cult organization that she saw the church of satan as being uh, so she just saw them as the same thing yeah yeah um and and she does uh, she does refer vaguely to the sort of abusive dynamics of the temple of set and um and like how it's controlling and 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 that's why she founded uh, uh, she founded an organization after uh, you know joining <clears throat> after founding the Sethian Liberation Fund. Um, her and Nicholas Shrek 
uh, you know, they founded that in uh, 2002. And then within that, uh, they founded this, like, self-help or, or not, like, help it, uh, sector, they called, within the SLM called... Uh, uh, Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> Phoenix. <laughs> Phoenix. Oh, like back yeah. to the beginning, right? Like We just were like... talking about this, but yeah, like, I mean, Phoenix is a very common symbol of rebirth, but the fact that it's the Setian liberation movement, you know, still using this terminology then to talk, yeah, it's, uh, it's suspicious. Yeah, I guess now her big thing is sort of like, quote unquote, Eastern mysticism. Like you can... Uh, hear her uh, incantation to Kali or her invocation of Kali at uh, on her website uh, zenashrek.com. Yeah, I feel cool. like there might be and another episode in there about Zena Shrek and, and Nicholas Shrek. Um, yeah, or, or yeah. Zena, who she now just uses her first name. Uh, yeah, if they don't like send their like uh, their like goth minions to gangstalk us first or something. Yeah, uh, they're true. over. They live in Berlin, and uh, you know I'm sure they feel very at home there. Um, yes, but we may uh, but just to say about Phoenix, like in this Vice interview that we're reading, uh, called, titled Beelzebub's Daughter, um, she says that uh, uh, basically. The SLM exists for personal enlightenment purposes. It's tantric in its nature and based on meditation and practices with Seth. We came from a cult-like hierarchical degree system to organically form this new entity when we saw a lot of the former members of the Temple of Set, who were of a lower degree, had unresolved anger and hostility issues due to the ways they'd been mistreated. So the SLM came about along with a sector called Phoenix that helps others resolve painful issues through meditation and spiritual guidance. The journalist asked, what sorts of painful issues? And she says, I teach people worldwide, regardless of their beliefs or background, drug addicts, child stars, religion-based cult members from sects like Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, my, my favorite, and members of Iranian Marxist political groups. And I believe there she has to be referring to the MEK, yeah. which is, yeah, yeah. Uh, very much a cult. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty much a cult. They they're very like Iranian diaspora, like super against the you know the Islamic Republic. Um, they were ostensibly Marxist at one point, but now they are kind of like a weirdo cult that's been very oddly embraced uh, by various neocon politicians in America, including I believe John McCain, Rudy Giuliani, John Bolton, and others. And they're like one of these, uh, a little bit like the Falun Gong, like one of these like sketchy cult groups that just gets lots of money from the US government to like foment like pie in the sky regime change ideas. Yeah. To like overthrow they the have, government. Like there. their own like true president of Iran or something that uh, Yeah, who I think is an occultation and may or may not be dead, but like his <laughs> wife runs it. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. It's very weird. Um, but I, I again, just to say, like, it reminds me of the um, of the uh, the. Uh, sorry, I, I watched Inherent Vice yesterday, and they use this line in it. But like, you get them get them coming and going. Um, of you know, these people get into a cult, and then when they get out, who's there to help you? But uh like psychotic satanic nazi nicholas shrek and xena shrek who are gonna like deprogram you or maybe reprogram you to something else i mean 
maybe maybe they're doing God's work, but given their track record, I'm a little skeptical. Yeah. Um, and, and like the most kind of like kind of most MK Ultra y kind of culty religious groups I could think of, like Scientology, the MEK, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, though they obviously predate MK Ultra, and I thought Child Stars too, kind of an interesting like, I don't know, what, former Disney actors, Mickey Mouse Club members, like, that kind of goes back to the sort of uh, murky monarch theory of, you know, I, I assume, I mean, she has some cachet in Hollywood as kind of a uh, a, a certain kind of, you know, uh, pop culture figure, um, even to the point yeah. that, like, you know, people, a lot of people online think that she's some kind of, like, that Taylor Swift is a clone of Xena Shrek. Yeah, I was just about to mention <laughs> That's that. Kind of a funny I mean, thing. yeah, I mean, well, she, yeah, exactly, her clone. The, the, the resemblance on the Geraldo show is striking, uh, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, she definitely bears a resemblance to Taylor Swift. Uh, she's very, yeah, she's like satanic Taylor Swift. Yeah, um, she's yeah. just a girl boss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I think we covered a lot of ground, we and did. I'm sure we'll we'll t- we'll come back to Aquino later. I'm sure we're not done with him. Um, yeah, unless we get astrally harassed and choked uh, in our sleep tonight, unless we wake up to find Aquino sitting on our chests or something, <laughs> um, strangling us, and or find ourselves being targeted individuals. Um, yeah. I certainly hope not. Um, and yes, I'm. I'm not sure if uh, if we're more safe or less safe now that he's dead. Uh, yeah, I'm just. If you hear your uh, father calling you, telling you that uh, he's wandering in hell for uh, insulting Satanists on a podcast, uh, don't return fire. Don't don't return fire. <laughs> Stay in your position, comrades. Stay yeah. in your position. We will catch you guys next time until then uh stay vigilant yeah peace Okay, I'll be the devil then.